always told me from day one, you're going to do this in Haiti. Haitian Art Podcast Series is a podcast that will engage Haitian and Caribbean artists in a dialogue on the critique on art forms that reflect the culture and heritage of the Caribbean. I'm your host, the Executive Director of the Haitian Heritage Museum in Miami, Florida. Jaden Lewis Saint is a Miami native whose daily mantra is too much is given, much is required. Her background in mentorship, devotion to Christ, and passion to transform lives helps this vision come to life. She's a registered nurse who obtained a bachelor in nursing in 2005 from the University of Miami School of Nursing and Health Studies. Jaden has mentored and assisted with academic and social development of approximately 40 inner city girls in Miami-Dade County. 65 to 70% of who have recently started or are currently in their collegiate undergrad careers. Her continuous involvement in the community has rendered her multiple awards from community leaders and organizations with the most, with, with the most recent from Haitian American Chamber of Commerce of Florida 20 Under 40, Young Professional Awards 2019. She's a member in other several organizations in her community, which includes Danny and Jasmine Ajit Foundation, hopefully I said that right, Golden Key International Honor Society, Haitian American Nurses Association, Black Professionals Network, Women Healthcare Executive Network, and NAACP Broward Chapter, just to name a few. So we're going to cut the bio there because we got a lot of questions for you and we're really excited to kind of hear your perspective on the things that is dear and dear to our heart as a Caribbean group of people. So um, I want to know the title of your book. You said it was unexpected but necessary. Can you unpack that for us? Tell us the title of your book. Mm -hmm. And you said a total stranger came up to you and I want to know what he said, at least for the viewers. They want to know because they seem like it sent you on this trajectory and you are not stopping anytime soon. So tell us, I asked you like three questions. The title of the book, Mm -hmm. you said it was um, unexpected but necessary. And what did that stranger say to you? And I don't think it was a stranger. I think it probably was an angel, but go ahead. Okay. Um, So the name of the book is You Are Not Where You're Supposed to Be. Yes. Uh, dot, 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 transforming the truth of the spirit-filled life. Okay. Um, that random stranger actually told me that. And so this story comes out of, I am a Miami native. I am a first um, generation uh, Haitian American. So when my parents came back um, in the late, they came here in the late seventies, uh, being the first generation of Haitian immigrants, it was very hard um, great, um, growing up in Miami. I was born in little Haiti, but actually about the age of five, we moved to Fort Lauderdale. And so what I did, and I thought it was the easiest way to protect myself, was I, I was Haitian at home, but when I was in the streets, I was American. And so that, that put me in identity crisis that took me about 32 years to realize I would pick and choose what I wanted to highlight in the Haitian culture and reject everything else. And so I, I, I was living a lie. I was living a double life, if you can say. And so um, when this woman, it was actually a woman who told me this. Um, and she literally said, uh, you are not where you're supposed to be. Um, Yahweh wants to use you beyond you can imagine, but you don't believe in him enough for him to use you. And um, being of Afro-Caribbean descent, we know religion is one of the key things in, in the culture. You know, growing up, it was l'école, l'école, l'église, 
Um, these are the three non-negotiables for my English speaking people. This is uh, school, church, and the home. Yeah. So, um, the so from that standpoint, I, I grew up in church. I understood what church was, but when this woman told me this, what it did was it set me to really open up my spiritual eyes and understanding that there is a creator and there, there's a purpose that he has birthed in me. And what I was doing, because I rejected the Haitian um, a part of me, he couldn't use me fully to impact and walk into my purpose because I had to come to terms with that part of my identity. And so when I said it was unexpected, but it was necessary, it was at that time and that moment and that season where I was just starting to uncover different aspects of Yah and really trying to understand, you know, when we talk about the Haitian culture, voodoo, my grandmother was a voodoo priestess. I mean, was, yeah, because she, she passed away. But her mother was a voodoo priestess, her mother, mother. So this is part of my culture. And that was one of the things that I, I did not care for. And so on this spiritual journey, he would show me the layers of things that I, I, I carried over my life over time because I did not want to come to terms that although I was born in the United States of America, my parents, my heritage is from Haiti. And until I can come to terms with that, I could not be my authentic self. So what this book talks about is it, it shares the journey of who I was prior to 2015 and getting this declaration and who I would become to transform to be by the end of 2015. This woman told me this in February of 2015 and by September 2015, we got incorporated. So this nonprofit was birthed and I went to Haiti for the first time in 19 years because I did visit Haiti when I was a young girl and I didn't like what I saw because they took me to the rural area. And so um, I was fortunate to travel the world, but I, I, I wanted to reject that identity of me. And I was like, well, I'm American. I have all the benefits of being American. I'll pick and choose when I want to be Haitian. And so um, that's literally the story. And I, I, I chronalize it um, for the whole year. So each chapter is broken down by months and you get to see how I evolve and I become the woman that he truly created me to be. And um, it's, it, it, was, it's a, it was a beautiful journey. And, and this is one of the reasons why I get to sit with you today. Um, so yes, That's you're not where you're supposed to be. So how did you, after this person gave you that word, like, was it like, you know, did you go on a fast? Did you go on a, like, how did you get that done? Because it was so, um, like, what, less than a year. Yes. And you got it done so quickly. And then um, did you just, like, completely surrender? Like, tell, talk to us about that process. Because a lot of times people just think, like, oh, you know, God is talking loud. Like, how are you doing? Jaden, and then it's different things. So can you walk us through that? So the people who, you know, want to get a closer relationship with God and want to do what he's called them to do and how to get it done. Go ahead. Yes. So uh, I'm glad you asked that question because it is a process. Um, and in my head in 2015, I wanted to go on a, what a, a sprint, but it's a marathon. Believe it or not, Yahweh was speaking to me prior to this woman telling me this. And because he was, but I wasn't listening and I wasn't fully surrendered, I would just brush it off. And of course, a lot of people think there's an audible voice. You're not going to hear audible voice. He uses people, things, um, messages to really speak to you where you know this person didn't know what you were going through, but they sent you this message that was right on time for what you needed to get at that moment. And so that woman was the cattle. She was the catalyst of, of basically Yahweh getting my attention. I was running away and I knew I was running away for what I knew I needed to do. Because as you read in the bio, I was working with young ladies in the community, but I wasn't working with my community. 
I was working with African-American women. I was working with Hispanic young girls, but I did not have a desire to work with my people. And so from that standpoint, by the time this lady told me what she told me, it was confirmation. It wasn't like, oh, like she just came out of the blue and I didn't know. It was more so God used her as confirmation and I had a decision to make. And so, yes, because I was on this spiritual journey, um, this happened around where the Catholic church was getting ready for Lent and I wasn't familiar with it, but my coworkers told me about it and they told me, you got to give up something for 40 days. And I was like, you know, I'm not doing that. I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm at a space to give up something for 40 days. But I said, you know what, um, Yahweh, I, I'll challenge you where I can try to give up some stuff for two weeks. And if you can really show me and tell me how you're going to use me beyond I can imagine, then I would truly fully surrender to you. And of course, I, I started a fast. And from the day the woman told me this was on a Saturday night, Sunday morning, I started the fast on a Monday. And then for two weeks, every day, I was either getting a text message, an email, a phone call, um, of, and everything was just very audible to me. Everything was very like transparent to me, like I couldn't avoid it. And through that journey, he showed me that there were things that I aligned myself to and things that was holding me back to truly hear from him personally versus me having to, versus him having to use an individual to speak to me to get my attention. And so by the time the two weeks ended, I would come to find out I was part of a sorority that I joined while I was in college. And a lot of the things that were done in the dark, um, Yahweh did not approve of. And when I look back at it, I never asked for his permission. I never really researched what I was getting myself into. And he made it very plain to me. And so I tell people, there's a term that we always hear, obedience over the sacrifice. At the end of the fast, um, you know, he, Yahweh would speak to me in my spirit. He says, what are you willing to give up to really truly hear from me. And at the time I didn't realize it was this sorority. And as soon as I made a decision in my heart to say, you know what, I'm gonna surrender it all. Um, I don't know what this is gonna look like because I was in it for 10 years. I, was, I, I did the work in the community with the sorority. So it became part of my identity. And so that night that I decided to say, you know what, I'm gonna let this go, I'm gonna trust you, was the night that he told me you're going now, everything that you did, I prepared you for this moment. You're not going to take your talents to Haiti. And so that's a whole nother journey because I started freaking out because I was like, I don't know anything about Haiti. I wasn't born there. And quite frankly, I didn't care enough about Haiti because I didn't know I allowed the European colonial um, narrative to, to, to make that story for me. And it was during that season because once I walked out of from the sorority, all the sorority sisters stopped talking to me. I, I went deeper into his word. You know, I, I aligned myself with people who were seeking the same thing um, that at this moment I realized was important, which was my eternity. And I wasn't going to jeopardize that. And from there, he showed me, he was like, okay, so now you're going to go to Haiti. You're going to do the mentoring program that you were doing here for 10 years. And you're going to work with the population that really needs the most because we can pride ourselves in Haitian culture. Our education is at the top of the line. But when we're talking about social education, that is something that I feel like um, we lack as a community, and it's not because we don't know, but it's almost like that's not part of our upbringing to understand, like, you know, social um, etiquette and how to, you know, public speaking, resume writing, all these things we kind of learn as we're going through. And so we wanted to work with young girls as young as 10 years old to help them identify their purpose and their talents and how they can use that to be better um, citizens to the people that they are surrounded with and to just make an impact in the world. And so um, that's pretty much 
how we came to that um, part of the journey. Okay, well, great. I think um, that was uh, definitely insightful, but I'm going to dig a little deeper. Uh-oh. Because um, I know you said you had to give up something. What did you do on your fast? Did you stop eating sweets? Did you do, like, stop doing social media? Like, what type of fast did you do? So people who don't know what fast is or what they can give up, kind of, like, help people understand that process. Okay, so fasting. So I gave up three things, uh, one of which is social media, as you, you mentioned. Um, the second thing was meat. So I, I, I was like, I'm not going to eat meat for two weeks. And the last thing was carbs. So you understand the struggle is real because in our cuisine, <laughs> those are the staples. So, um, I knew if I could overcome those and let those things go, those were something that was dear to me because as I was in this identity crisis, when it came to Haitian food, Haitian music, that was a non-negotiable. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I gave up meat, I gave up carbs, and I gave up social media for two weeks. Okay, great. And then you just kind of got all the downloads that you needed to get yes. through the word, the text, or what have you, and you got them. Okay, that's, that sounds great. I think um, for the people who don't know, because we're here to help people and get people to understand um, what our community is about, because a lot of times people just see Jaden, the nurse, the executive director of her foundation and everybody think it's just like, Oh wow. She just woke up and it happened. It's a process. process. And let me tell you that process continues as you continue to rise and elevate, um, through what God has for you or the different levels or the places that you kind <clears> of, <throat> excuse me, parked and you weren't supposed to park. He's going to, um, continue to nug you so you can move forward. So I think that's really awesome um, to, to learn about that. So the next question that I have, where does your inspiration come from? What's your primary um, source of empowerment? Where does that come from? Um, right now, I would say the Holy Spirit, um, my relationship with y'all, because I realized how pivotal it was to understand the creator, to understand this ideology, because just think about it. You're born into something where they're saying you're going to church. You need to read your Bible. You know, these are the rules. You got to follow all these rules. And so once I started developing my relationship with Christ, I saw the freedom, the freedom that it is to be called his daughter and understanding that I am the daughter of the most high to understand that I'm a brother of Christ. And I sit at the right hand of, of Yah. So, um, my inspiration comes from that. But there are other women. Uh, my mom, I would say, she she's inspired me. She uh, the relationship I had with my mom was a tumultuous one, and in 2015, I had to forgive myself and I had to forgive her of all the things that I was harboring um, because I felt like she didn't do this or she could have done that. Um, so my mother's an inspiration because throughout my life journey, she was always praying. She was always uh, hosting prayer parties, and I used to get super annoyed because I was like, "That's all you do all day." And I, I didn't see how Yahweh was moving in her life um, in, the, in that season. I didn't understand it. And so I, I rejected it. So when I got to college, I walked away from religion. And I can say that today, I am away from religion from a standpoint because yeah. I, I had to learn that relationship trumps religion. Mm -hmm. And religion is man-made and it's tradition. But when you have relationship, you just want to please Yahweh. So from that standpoint, my inspiration does come from um, my mother from the Holy Spirit and the young ladies that I work with. You know, when we started this nonprofit, we were only focused on 10 to 15 year olds, but then we realized there was still a need as they progressed in their life cycle. 
So when we decided um, in 2018 to open um, a program called Miss Tones from AIT, it allowed us to work with young ladies from 18 to 25. Just translate the word to the non-Creole um, oh. speakers. Oh, so Transform AIT is basically Transform Haiti. Okay, thank you. Transform Haiti. And um, those young ladies inspired me, you know, because what I thought was the struggle 30 years ago is still the struggle for these young ladies now, um, 30 years later. Wow. And so, you know, it keeps me, it keeps me young. It keeps me motivated and it challenges me to see how I can elevate and outdo what I've done two years ago, three years ago. Um, because my, my passion is for us to be equipped to do the work that he's called us to do, but ultimately know what we're doing. You know, a lot of people say, I want to start a business. Do you understand the basics of business? Um, of course I have an MBA. So that was part of what, like I said, um, it was necessary, but it was unexpected. He already prepared me for it. I didn't realize that that's what he wanted me to do. When I got this MBA, my pursuit was to become a CNO. For the people who don't know, a chief nursing officer. But mm -hmm. within four months into the institution that I was working at, he made it very plain to me. You can have this, but I can give you so much more if you just, you know, do what I've asked you to do. And because of that, you know, it's a humbling experience, but I wouldn't change it for the world because I, I could have had the CNO title. I would have all the stress with it and would become resentful or I could be used doing his job um, and what he purposed me. So now I have, you know, I'm an executive director. I'm a pageant director, a motivational speaker. I help women start nonprofits. And so the list goes on because I decided to take him outside of a box that was presented to me and actually get to know him and see what, you know, this, this, this bondage that we can put ourselves in based off man's rules and, and perception and understanding that I'm enough. You know, one of the things I learned in 2015 that I was enough. I used to wear weave. I used to wear a lot of makeup, nails. I, I just had this whole idea of the European uh, uh, idea of beauty. And in 2015, he literally just stripped me down to show me that what I created is enough. Um, there's nothing you need to do because I call you by name. And so this is what I get to share with these young ladies that we work with to make them understand that they're enough. And um, they get to decide how they their perception of other people and what they say about them. And even if they say something negative, they can take it to a positive and ultimately take it as constru constru constructive criticism to continue to do what they need to do. That's what's up. I think um, it's so important that um, we as a community, when I say community, a black community, not just Afro-Caribbean, just black in general, know who we are because with the climate that's happening right now in America, I think it's a loss of identity. Tell people a little bit about your organization, how long you've been doing it. If you started, if I'm understanding, in 2015, and you've yes. been going since now, now we're in 2020? So it's five years. Okay, so tell us that journey. Like how, you know, how did you pick what view to go to, what location to go to in Haiti? Because Haiti is vast. And there's yeah. everybody and their mother <laughs> is out there helping Haiti, right? Mm -hmm. So <laughs> everybody out there and their mother helping Haiti, but yeah. we don't know where what's really going on because it's like every time you go, it's just like the poverty is objective. You know what I mean? And it's like, um, how did you understand that dynamic? Because doing a program in the U.S., and taking it to Haiti is a whole different ballgame. How did you do that transition? 
Um, so you, you are absolutely correct. Um, like I said, once he told me that's what you were doing, I disqualified myself. I didn't say I was qualified enough because I didn't know where I was going, who I was going to connect with. And ultimately I had to take a leap of faith. And one of the promises that he made to me in the very beginning of this journey was you will meet people for the first time and they will help you do what I've asked you to do. And so I doubted him in the beginning, but one of the um, interesting facts, and I didn't have it in the book, but I do explain it in the book, is that I was looking to get a logo for the organization. And because I told you I was in this sorority for about 10 years, I, I developed a, a, a rapport with you know women in the organization, and I knew they were graphic designers. And so when he told me this, he's like, you're going to meet people for the first time, and they're going to help you do what I need you to do. I, I still wanted to do it on my, my, my own accord and figure out how I'm going to help God. So I went to two individuals um, in the organization to help me. And they both basically rejected me because at this point, it was like, you no longer serve a purpose to us because you're not part of the organization and you're no longer a priority for us. And so I remember the Holy Spirit was like, um, did you pick up your face yet? Um, because I already had told you I would allow you um, people to help you. And so what would happen within that week, um, someone reached out to me because someone told them what I was trying to do. And he basically gave me five different logos to choose from. He kind of asked me what you have in mind. And so from you know asking or quote unquote begging to having it put on a silver platter, this would open the door for me to meet um, an individual at my job as she would notice how I would be on the bus. I take the bus to work and I would always be reading the word. And so she was like, it's very weird to me that you're young and you are actually taking this time to actually, actually I was not reading the word, I was journaling. And so that kind of sparked a conversation and she was there um, right after the earthquake as a mental health um, uh, ARMP and she, I started kind of telling her what I was doing and she started crying. She said, you know, after Haiti and the earthquake, she went there. She said she couldn't even give a year of work there because just the nature of what you're saying with our people, we're special. And um, ultimately, you know, she was like, I'm just going to come back to the States and I'll help stateside, meaning I will join an organization, send funding there, but I cannot be on the ground working. So when I told her that, you know, Yahweh is telling me to go there, she started crying and she pretty much had tears of joy because she was like, you don't even know what you're getting yourself into right now, but I can feel in your presence. I can feel in your spirit that you're being obedient. So I can't give you, um, I can't give you a donation right now, but I can connect you with someone that I believe that can help you take, um, take this where it needs to be. So in our conversation, she would actually connect me with uh, um, a past minister of health in Haiti. He, he was the minister of health in 1991 and um, he was part of an organization in um, Leogan, Haiti. So that's where we started because, you know, I'm a nurse. So we had a partnership with a hospital and a nursing school. And in that complex, they had an elementary school. Um, and so that's where we started. But as you said, this journey has been very, very um, tumultuous, highs and lows, roller coaster. And I tell people, if Yahweh did not send me to Haiti, uh, I'm going to say in 2016, we would have exit out and, and kept it moving and be like, you know what? I'm just going to send these donations. And um, from there, I had to learn how to work with people. I had to learn our people from, uh, from the, the, you know, from Haiti. And um, it wasn't nice, but ultimately it showed me what I was going to need to do. And I was determined to, to do what he asked me to do. So we broke ties with Leogan. We were there for about three years and it just didn't work out. 
And in the pivotal moment of 2018, where I was like, you know what, I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm really trying to help. I'm putting myself out there. And these people don't understand that I don't want to do something temporary. I don't want to just come and give you a book bag, you tear it up and use it. I want to plant something. I want to, um, you know, make fishers of men. I want to uh, empower you, give you the tools so that you can help 10 other people. Those 10 people can help others. And they could not grasp that concept. And so I was like, I'm ready to go. Um, I'm done. And what would happen is he works in mysterious way. I'm an administrator at Jackson. One of my employees told me about her sister who actually has a shipping company. Um, the way we had this conversation was because we did an annual back to school drive and we were not able to distribute these book bags in 2018 because they would not release them from the dock and they wanted us to pay money under the table just for them to unload it. And I was like, I'm not having it. I'm like, I'm not having it. And so when she asked me, how did it go? And I explained everything to her. She was like, listen, I, my sister does this. She's been doing it for about 15 years. You go with my sister. You, you will not only get this stuff shipped to Haiti, it will be delivered at your doorstep. Wow. And from there, um, that sparked, my parents are actually from port au mm -hmm. And so just making that connection, last year we were able to make a partnership with um, Beaka. Uh, the, the hospital and the, orphan, um, the orphanage there. And we launched our first cohort in 2019. And they are supposed to graduate this year, um, this past weekend, but because of Corona, we are pushing it back. Um, and we were able to uh, get 20 young girls to start the cohort problem, um, a cohort and actually build a team in Haiti. So we had a team in Haiti that worked individuals that worked in these diff different institutions that saw what this is about and they saw the long-term vision mm -hmm. and they, they told us what we needed to do. And from there, that's how it happened. So on the brink of me saying, you know what, I'm, I'm done. Um, there was a light at the tunnel and it was almost like he was testing me to see if I really was going to walk away from it. And once I said, you know what, we've, uh, we came so far, he basically gave me like a silver platter, red carpet. Um, and, and these people are amazing. So that's a really amazing thing. So tell me a little bit about the cohort, or I don't know if this is the cohort first or what or else or not, about how you get women to start nonprofit. Is that part of the cohort? Is it like a track? Is it like, you know, tell me, is the cohort like, okay, you know, week one, we're doing this, that, and the other. What is the objective at the end of the cohort? You said they're supposed to graduate. So is the cohort all about starting a nonprofit and what, what is it? Yes. So um, the cohort is the group of girls that are, are meeting together to do the curriculum. And our curriculum comes from Unique Academy, where okay. you're celebrating the best you every day. And that, that curriculum has a spiritual component because it took me 32 years to realize religion, I mean, relationship trumps religion. So we have a, a spiritual component where we help them understand why relationship is more important than going through the motions. In the second part of the curriculum, we have an entrepreneur component. So by the time they're done with the entrepreneur component, they will walk out with a business model canvas. Um, and then there's a Haitian culture component because one of the things, like I said, the things that I thought was I was dealing with 30 years, there are still problems here in our, our community today. What would you have told yourself? Because I know on the journey, you you go through betrayal, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You go through ups and downs because that's just part of the journey. But what would you have told yourself 
you know, five years ago that where you are today, what would you have told yourself to kind of keep yourself motivated and, and continuing on the journey or something, a word of wisdom that you want to just share with the audience? He always told me from day one, you're going to do this in Haiti. And so um, that is one of the key things that I learned in this journey. It's a process. Enjoy the journey, the ebbs and flows. And you, all you can do is laugh at the things that you did, you know, being naive, being young into the game. Yeah. And then yeah. as you see, as you grow, like, you can't pull that over me, sir. You can't pull over yeah. that. But we yeah. thank you guys so much for your time and putting God first, which is the key to life, and really transforming other people's lives because he transformed you so you can go and transform somebody else. So thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of HAPS, Haitian Art Podcast Series. Please don't forget to follow us at the HaitianHeritageMuseum.org and follow us on all of our social media handles. And also, please subscribe to the podcast.